This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the change of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Thank you for that reading. I want to welcome everybody here once again. And uh, as I mentioned before, today is a special Sunday because we are going to ordain our brother Fred Kim as an elder of the church. And it's been a, you know, it's been a long process. And uh, it began, I would say, maybe almost two years ago. Uh, where a few of us would gather Saturday mornings at, I think, 6 a.m. in New Jersey, and we would together uh, do some uh, elder training. And uh, last year in July, we ordained our first two elders with Matt and Peter, and uh, today we're going to ordain our third elder with Fred. And uh, before we look at this text, um, let's come to the Lord and ask him to uh, bless us today. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we thank you so much that you uh, not only... Uh, allow us to um, to hear from your word, but you even give us the ability to understand it in your Holy Spirit, uh, and not just to understand it in our minds, but to even uh, be convicted of it, to even reorient our lives around it and what it says. And uh, we pray that at this time as well, that you would teach us, you would instruct us, you would encourage us uh, with your very word of truth. And may we... Uh, May we really see and hear uh, from you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, today uh, I want to just give a pretty short message, I think, uh, at least shorter than usual. And uh, I don't think there's really that many occasions in which we can talk about, you know, church polity and an elder <laughs> and what an elder is supposed to do. And usually it's these special occasions where we get to talk about these things. And so in view of that, uh, I basically want to give a very short message on two basic questions. And those two basic questions is this, are these, are these. Uh, first question, why, why does a church need elders? And second question, what kind of elders does the church need? And, you know, very simple questions, but I think for that first question, why does the church need elders? Uh, I suspect some people will be thinking that's, that's kind of an obvious question because uh, if you grew up in the church, maybe... You're used to seeing elders, and by the way, elders, I'm using synonymously as pastor. Uh, you're used to seeing elders, and you're used to seeing people lead the church. Uh, but, you know, I think for some people, maybe the answer is uh, not quite as apparent. And I think that because we, we live in a spiritual climate where people don't think that institutional structures are all that important, and uh, people might even feel that these kind of things only get in the way of true spiritual growth, and religion has become this very highly personalized and highly individualistic thing. And I think that's why uh, some people may even see formal structures like things as an elder as kind of being a, a hindrance to true spirituality. And I kind of see this seeping uh, in many of the Christians I meet in New York as well. You see, 
in New York City, a lot of my experiences with interacting with Christians is this is a very common experience is some people will kind of go to one church uh, because they like the people or they like the small group of one church, but then they'll attend a Sunday service somewhere else. And there's this kind of, I'm going to pick this part and I'm going to pick this part of the church and combine, this will make up my, my church life and my spiritual life. And, you know, it's very, it's very common to do. And I even experience it where uh, some people might say, you know, um, because I have a personal relationship with them, they'll say, you know, can you give me some counsel, some pastoral counsel, or can you do my premarital counseling? And, uh, you know, of course I'm happy to do it, but usually what I'll say is, you know, you should probably ask your pastor first, right? There's, there should be some kind of connection in terms of the church that you go to and uh, the relationship that you have with the shepherds of that, that particular church. And so because it's such a very common experience in New York where people will kind of kind of dip their feet in different kinds of churches, uh, you know, I do wonder if some people see the importance of being under the authority uh, of elders, now, let me also say, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to do, especially if you're not a Christian or maybe if you're a new Christian. It could actually be helpful to kind of see how Christianity manifests itself uh, in different ways and in different contexts in different churches. But I will say this, if you are, uh, you know, if you've been a Christian for a while and if you consider yourself to be a mature Christian or if you want to be a kind of Christian that wants to grow in maturity and have some uh, true accountability, uh, I, I think it's important to have elders in the church. You see, when we look at scripture and Paul gives all of these metaphors and all of these illustrations for what the church is. So he says the church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the household of God. And you notice this, the, the one metaphor that Paul does not give is he doesn't say, you know, the church is like a convenience store, right? Probably because there were no convenience stores back then. But uh, he doesn't give a, an illustration in which you're, you're supposed to kind of like take and shop from a church, but he gives an illustration in which you belong to a church. It's kind of like belonging to a family. And this consumer mindset when it comes to how one relates to the church, I think is actually very foreign to what the Bible says and what the Bible shows about the church. And there's also something about this consumer mindset as it relates particularly to uh, the office of elder and eldership. Uh, consumer mindset also means that you yourself become your own authority. Uh, you get to kind of decide what's best for you. Uh, you get to kind of decide what you need. And you put yourself in a position where uh, you don't really uh, submit to anybody except yourself. And that kind of feeds into this very individualistic approach to religion. But you see, I think from a spiritual perspective, that can be a very dangerous place to be. Because one of the things that the Bible does is it likens us to being like sheep. And uh, being likened to sheep is a kind of metaphor that might get lost in translation to urban folk. Uh, but sheep are notoriously known to be, you know, not, not really the most intelligent animals. They're kind of wanderers. Uh, a couple years ago, I read this story that, you know, I've mentioned a few times. But uh, in Turkey, there was this group of sheep, and they were following this one sheep. And this one sheep uh, was going somewhere, and it went off of a ravine. And all the group of sheep followed this one sheep, and all the sheep died. <laughs> by just following that one sheep and wandering off a ravine. And then when the Bible likens us to sheep, it's saying this, that we are dependent people. We, we need to be shepherded. We need to be a people who have a shepherd to guide us, to lead us, and to protect us so that we don't die. And in the church, an elder is supposed to kind of function like that. An elder is uh, a shepherd. 
Uh, it's not something that is kind of nice to have. It's not something that's a luxury to have. But it's supposed to be something that is essential to have in order to, to really grow and to mature as a Christian. And I would say, you know, because it is so easy to stray, it's something that maybe is even essential to remain a Christian. We need accountability. We need elders to know us. We need elders to protect us. We need elders to shepherd us. And if a Christian is just kind of hopping around churches and picking and choosing different parts of the church uh, without being under the care of elders, then I would say it's not the healthiest place to be spiritually. And that's why if you become a member of this church, one of the vows that you take is you promise to submit to the government and discipline of the church because we think it's a very important and essential part of being a growing, healthy Christian. Now, if you look at this passage, that's the reason why the first thing that Paul says in this letter to Titus here is this. He says, appoint elders. See, for some reason, Paul wasn't able to stay in this place called Crete, and so he leaves it to Titus, and he says, make sure you appoint elders, and he leaves his task to Titus. And in fact, he says, that's the reason why I left you in Crete, so you can complete the work that hasn't been done, and so you can appoint elders, appoint shepherds over the church. And you see, this is the pattern of Paul's ministry as he goes from city to city and as he plants churches. One of the things that he does is he appoints elders to be shepherds over the people of God. And yes, of question, why? And the answer is very simple. It's because we need to be shepherded. Now, being under uh, somebody's authority uh, is potentially a very vulnerable place to be. And of course, there's a lot of potential for some abuse. And that's what leads to our second question in terms of what kind of elders does a church need. Paul lists all of these qualifications here. If you look at these qualifications in verses 6 to 8, you're going to notice that there is a great emphasis on the character of a person. You know, when you think about the qualifications for a job, if you do a search for a job, typically what they'll do is they'll list qualifications. And if you read most of those qualifications, they mostly have to do with skill, right? If you're going to be a programmer, do you know how to program in, I don't know, a a certain computer language? If you're going to be uh, somebody that has to analyze data, do you know how to do that? If you're going to be a doctor, do you know how to diagnose an illness? All of these things, the qualifications are usually related to skill. And even when you go into a job interview, they rarely ask, you know, how's your family life? How do you get how do you get along, get along with your wife and your kids? How generous are you? Uh, when was the last time uh, you got drunk? And uh, when was the last time you, you really lost your temper? temper? Uh, and I think in this way, this is why the position of eldership is so different in terms of quality from, let's say, uh, any kind of leader in the secular world, like an executive or a manager. Uh, Because, not to say that there's no skill involved, but it's not primarily about skill, if you look at these qualifications, but it seems like Paul's great emphasis is actually on character. Again, that's not to say that giftedness is not important, but I think character will prove to be more important. You see, there have been plenty of gifted church leaders who have probably done you know, a lot of harm to people and, and to gospel ministry because they were lacking in good character. 
And I think the temptation for all of us is going to be to gravitate to the person that is very gifted, uh, because usually people who are very gifted produce immediate results. And a lot of times it's very tempting to judge the quality of ministry based on those immediate results. But as I think personally about what is a good qualification for a good ministry, uh, I think of something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he says this, he says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And he's talking about the context of planting and building churches there. And in order to stand the test of fire, we have to do good quality work. And I think in order to do good quality work that can withstand the test of fire in that final day, I think it's going to require good character. Now, by the way, I don't think we should read these qualifications and say, you know, this is stating simply the ideal uh, as if it's unattainable. Uh, in other words, I don't think we should look at it and say, you know, these qualifications, it would be nice to have, but that's just being very idealistic. I actually think maybe Paul is being very practical in listing these qualifications. I think Paul knows maybe what it's like to be in ministry and many of the things that take place in ministry. And he knows that uh, these are the things that an elder of a church must be in order to serve the church well. I think Paul probably knows that you know being under the authority of an elder is can be a very vulnerable place to be, and therefore you need highly high character people to be in that position so that they don't abuse that authority, but they use it to serve and to love and to shepherd well. And although it's a high standard, it's not an impossible standard, and he's not saying that an elder must be perfect and sinless, but he is saying an elder needs to be high in character. What are some of these qualifications? An elder must lead their family well. They must be the husband of one wife. They must disciple their children well. Why? Because if they can't lead their family well, if they can't shepherd their family well, how in the world are they going to lead the people or the family of God well? And let me just also say as a side point, you know, it's actually not very hard to put on a front at church. Uh, it's not hard to kind of act a certain way when you're around other Christians but it is hard to act a certain way around your family. And your family will see right through you. Your family will know whether you really believe in this gospel. Your family will know whether you truly love God. Your family will know all of these things. And if you have kids especially, they will be able to see your hypocrisy by the way that you treat them at home. And Paul is saying this, you must be a good family person, a good family man. Not only that, an elder must be respectable. They shouldn't be viewed as arrogant. They shouldn't have a quick temper. Because when that is combined with some power and authority, that can be deadly. That can crush and destroy people. An elder must not be a drunkard or violent or greedy, lest they lower the respectability of the office. And positively, he says this, an elder should be hospitable and welcome all kinds of people because that's one of the most tangible ways in which you can demonstrate the gospel. 
An elder must be someone who is respected by both believers and non-believers. And in a functional sense, I think an elder should probably be an example of what it means to believe in the gospel and follow Jesus Christ for the congregation. You see, I think it's very tempting to uh, try to lead a church based on good strategies and following the latest trends in church growth. And again, strategy is not necessarily a bad thing. But I think good character can overcome not-so-great strategy. But poor character will never overcome the best strategy there is. It might look like in the eyes of the world that the ministry is flourishing, but the quality of that work is going to be manifested one day in the last day, and God is going to be the ultimate judge of it. You see, ministry is a great privilege, and ministry is filled with a lot of joy, but ministry can also be filled with a lot of heartache and great temptations. It's going to actually be easier to be faithful and to serve during those times of joy. But you really need character to carry you through the times of deep heartache. See, elders have an important duty, especially as it relates to God's word. And you see this in verse 9. One of the duties of elders is to uphold sound doctrine. I think that duty itself also requires not just a knowledge of God's word, but I also think that requires good character. See, an elder has to have the courage to stand up for what is sound doctrine. An elder has to have the courage to be able to rebuke those who contradict it. You know, the temptation is always going to be to do that which is popular. The temptation is always going to be to do that which will please others. But here we see what Paul is saying is an elder must first seek to please God. And sometimes that could be mean doing that which is difficult and unpopular. But in order to do that, in order to uphold the truth of God's word, it requires good character and a deep conviction and love for Christ and his church. Now, with all that said, I also want to give a little bit of balance and some encouragements. You know, I think we do have to maintain this tension of understanding the importance of this office and the standard of this office. But on the flip side, I think we also have to realize where the power of ministry comes from. Because it doesn't come from this office. The power for ministry comes from God's word and from his spirit. And I'll tell you why that is a great encouragement. You know, if you think about the, uh, the history of the church throughout the centuries, there have been tons and tons and tons of church leaders who were evil, who were corrupt, who were self-seeking, and who were immoral. And in spite of these very corrupt church leaders in history and even in present day, the amazing thing is to realize how much the gospel still went forth in this world. 
it is quite astounding to recognize and to realize that churches are still being planted and people are still coming to know Christ and people are still coming, uh, becoming saved. And you ask yourself, how is that possible? You know, in any other kind of uh, secular institution, maybe if, uh, you know, if all the leaders fall, maybe the, the rest follow. I don't know. And maybe that's true of a particular ministry or a particular church. But if you just kind of take a step back and take a grand scope of things, the gospel still goes forth and God still ministers to people. Why? Because the true power of ministry, the true power of changed hearts, the true power of conviction of what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross ultimately comes from his word and his spirit. And I'll tell you why that's encouraging. And I'll tell you why, Fred, that's encouraging uh, to both you and I and to the other elders. I think there's going to be times uh, as a pastor or an elder where you're going to feel like a failure. I think there are times where you're going to feel like you're not really living up to this high calling I think there are going to be be times where you feel like you shouldn't be in this position, and there's going to be times where you're keenly aware of your weaknesses and your inadequacies and of your sin. And for these reasons, I think there's going to be a lot of times where you feel like, maybe I should just quit. But then you're reminded of this. You know, the fruit of ministry, uh, although the office of elder is supremely important, the fruit and the power of ministry, the source of ministry, ultimately is not contingent upon you. It's not contingent upon uh, how good you are, how gifted you are. It comes from the power of God's word and from his spirit. And that's so liberating. That's so liberating. You know, sometimes the truth of it is human shepherds, may fail. But we do have a chief shepherd in Jesus Christ who will never fail. And this chief shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep and he went to the cross. And that event is the very foundation in which churches are built upon. And that's why I think churches are always in good hands because it's always in the hands of our chief shepherd. Insofar as the elders of the church can declare the will of our chief shepherd, can live according to what our chief shepherd says, can be organically connected and in relationship with our chief shepherd, then I think elders will serve the church well. See, when the truth of the gospel and the word are manifested through the Spirit, I think that's at, at that point we realize that the true power of ministry is ultimately not going to be found in pastors or elders. Pastors and elders are simply servants mediating God's will through his word. And that is why I think perhaps the most important thing that your shepherds can do is to pray, to pray for you. You know, that's, that's something we want to cultivate here. That's something we've been really trying to do uh, as elders. We want to prioritize praying for 
this church. And I don't mean praying in a very broad and general sense. And maybe some of you are not aware, but we, we try to pray for you individually and specifically. And if we feel like something's going on in your life, and maybe we don't necessarily know about it, we pray for you. Because we know, we are keenly aware of our own limitations when it comes to changing your heart. We are keenly aware that true power comes from God's word and from his spirit. And therefore what we want to do is call upon his spirit to minister to your hearts. And we want to serve you well to that end. And so as we ordain Fred today, uh, here's what I'd like to leave you with. For the congregation, I'd like you to realize uh, you, you need shepherds. You need to be under even authority of your shepherds. And you need your shepherds to know who you are so they can pray for you. And to the two elders we have, to Fred who will be ordained as an elder today, We need to pray, and we need to love our people, because this is not our people, this is actually God's people, and we need to pray hard for them. We need to love and serve them well. And we have this great example of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, who loved and served us well, even to the point of going to the cross. May God's word be proclaimed in this church, and may his spirit be at work in the lives of those of you who are here today. Uh, let's pray uh, before we have Pastor John come up for the charge. Let's pray together.